0: 85% of daily fantasy sports players lose. Don't be surprised. It's rigged. You're playing against thousands of lineups and experts with more tools and time. Stat Hero is the first ever daily fantasy sports book that gives the player the advantage. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head matchup. You name your stakes and winner takes all. So go to stathero.com/capspace. You can sign up for free and right now you get 300%. Back on your first play. That's stathero.com/slash cap space. Don't forget that slash cap space URL to let them know that you came from us. You all have heard me talk many times about my wife here on the show you might recall that she's a yoga teacher and i wanted to let you know that she is starting her own streaming service called yoga with ashlyn a-i-s-l-i-n-n that's how you spell it And if you enjoy our meticulous data-oriented approach here on Dunkton, either you or a significant other will find this to be the best streaming service there is for yoga unlike apparently a lot of teachers she spends about an hour planning the sequence for each class Why is that important? Well, it helps you get the most out of every second that you're on the mat, whether it's one of her quick 10 minute refresh classes or one of her super hardcore inversion labs. This detailed sequencing makes all the difference whether you're looking for injury prevention, getting into that really hard pose you haven't been able to master, or just getting your mind right at the end of a really hard day. She's got over 130 classes, and that library is growing at one to two classes per week. She'll even take requests from members on new classes that they like. You can search by poses, by body part if you're feeling something is tight. She's really built an impressive platform. And whether you want to get into yoga more yourself or you know someone who is really into yoga and is looking for a way to get a lot better, check out Yoga with Ashlyn. There's a free seven-day trial. You can either go to yogawithashlyn.com or there's a link to her service in the description of this podcast. That's yogawithashlyn.com, A-I-S-L-I-N-N, or just click the link in the podcast description all right welcome on our first repeat 15 and 60 here in the western conference we're going to go in relatively reverse alphabetical order but on some of these we'll focus around on some of sunday's games a reminder that if you're listening to this on monday morning danny and i are actually doing an nba cast on nba league pass for spurs at blazers that's three eastern and noon pacific you can catch that nba league pass or you can even just buy the game if you are a spurs uh, or Blazers fan not living in one of those markets but let's uh, get started here with the Utah Jazz Danny what are their fundamentals and then we can talk about their game against Denver which they won on Sunday the
1: Jazz are nine and four six and two since the last 1560 they are third in net rating at plus 7.3 ninth in offense third in defense 530 projects that they will win 46 games which is third in the west and they're probably going to make the playoffs and yeah they won 109-105 over the Denver Nuggets and I I thought that like one of the crazy takeaways of the early part of this game was Denver's incomprehensibly high offensive rebound rate
0: yeah really they had in the end 23 offensive rebounds Nikola Jokic pulled down eight of those and Paul Millsap pulled down four of those Jokic was playing volleyball off the glass a, a fair amount but when it wasn't him Millsap was huge because Jokic is pulling Rudy Gobert away from the basket. That was his approach. He was taking a lot of pick and pop twos, a lot of threes. He was three out of six. He went right back to that same level of aggression, shooting the ball, as they had in that legendary playoff series last year when these two teams matched up. And so that puts really the Jazz sole decent defensive rebounder... Uh, Royce O'Neal is like okay, but then he's also guarding Jamal Murray as well, most of the time. So Bogdanovich, Conley, Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson. I mean, these guys are are just not good rebounders. So the Nuggets were definitely keeping a ton of plays alive. You mentioned it was 109, 105, but these teams play slow as shit. You know, this is yeah. like a low nineties pace uh or maybe a early 90s or i should say mid 90s pace from a historical perspective um but what else stuck out to you besides that offensive rebounding although the jazz did turn the tables on that a little bit late with gobert for some key plays
1: yeah they, they did have some big ones late uh, i i thought that while boyan bogdanovich has continued to struggle to start the season he had some big shots in this couple of quick release threes it was five for nine from long distance and good to see that conley had some nice moments uh gobert had a beautiful pass to donovan mitchell that i thought sealed the game but then the jazz missed four free throws in a row so it wasn't quite sealed yet um so yeah i, I thought that a lot of the Jazzmen did a did a good job kind of like reasonably efficient offense they weren't getting to the basket a ton and they weren't they, they got to the line eventually they got to the line eventually but a lot of that was go bear but I, I thought that the jazz offense looked looked pretty good and as you mentioned like the jazz had a 121 offensive rating in this game because it was so slow
0: Yeah, they started 7 of 11 from 3, then cooled off, but still hit about 40%. And as we know, this is one of the best spot-up shooting teams in the NBA. And that third in defense is interesting. That's something we'll probably have to lock in on a little bit more. I mean, the raw number is not amazing. 106, you know, there's a bunch of teams in the 106 to 108 range. So, you know, that's something that could regress very easily, but when you watch Jamal Murray go for 24 points in the first half, you're again reminded of how limited these guys are athletically on the perimeter defensively.
1: Yeah, and and I thought there were times where they were lim- they really missed Joe Ingles offensively. Just the, the second unit, I relied a lot on Jordan Clarkson, but Jordan Clarkson had a productive night.
0: Oh yeah, he he is actually leading the NBA and scoring off the bench. we will have to see when we do our awards in a couple of weeks where he falls in six man. But certainly he has been up there a little bit. I I thought one thing that was very interesting is that the Jazz have been trying to play around with when Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors play. Yeah, and Joe Ingles is out for them sorry what were you gonna say
1: no i was just gonna fall i was gonna i was echoing what you said okay well (laughs) uh
0: i i will consider it echoed in, in that case so uh you know they've been playing around with Gobert now starting the second quarter they take him out pretty early i think that also just psychologically can help him just to not get into foul trouble in the first quarter to just not play as many minutes you know if he only plays six minutes in the first quarter and then sits for six minutes he's not going to get those two fouls in the first quarter that can just kind of ruin his game even if it doesn't really matter whether he gets that second foul in you know it's still his 10th minute of play regardless of whether it happens in the first quarter or the second quarter quarter but I think psychologically for him uh, that can really help and they've just been killing teams with Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert that pick and roll has been awesome Mike Conley has been playing fantastically and at the start of the second the Jazz pop out Uh, I think they scored the first 10 points of the second quarter with the Nuggets, their usual group of Hartenstein at center on the second unit, and they couldn't really get anything going offensively at all. The Monte Morris, Isaiah Hartenstein pick and roll is not going to cause problems for Rudy Gobert. So then the Nuggets took out Hartenstein. They put in Jermichael Green as the backup center, and that's uh, Green got a pick and pop three. Then... On the next play, two guys over rotated to him. They that set up put him in rotation and set up a a wide open corner three. I think it was Compazzo who got that one. And so they went a lot with, uh, you know, with Michael Porter Jr. is still out with with coronavirus. So they have this lineup. They brought Jamal Murray back in as well. It was Compazzo, Monte Morris, Jamal Murray at the three, PJ Dozier at the four, and the five was Jamichael Green. It actually worked okay at at that point.
1: Yeah, it did. And you brought up that Jamal Murray started so. Hot. He then didn't score again until three seventeen remained in the entire game. He had a layup. I think he fin- finished with six points in that second half. At a couple,
0: had a couple of baskets late.
1: And he, that he is, is really like the...
0: the most inconsistent player in the NBA at this point. And to me, like he it, is it, just so feast or famine.
1: And it doesn't appear that it's like oh his shot is molten and then it doesn't like it. It seems like there are times that he's just like just going through the motions and just disappears. And that's really stunning.
0: Yeah, I did think that the Jazz did a better job of not guarding Gary Harris in the second half. And he was yes. two of seven from three, but he was just bricking wide open corner threes. I mean, that and they were able to muck things up not guarding him reasonably well uh, well and that was the something also half.
1: like as small as the nuggets were for extended stretches of the second half they didn't really have particularly great shooting it was more just like the only players that mike malone trusts bull bull was actually starting it at, at small forward earlier in the week i uh, got beasted a little bit by kevin durant earlier in the week and then now that gary harris is available he was out due to personal reasons bull bull is completely out of the rotation entirely
0: yeah i mean it seemed like they just were starting him at the three to try to maintain things but they and they're really missing Michael Porter Jr. right now because yes. Will Barton he had another stinker tonight one out of six oh for six from three he didn't close it they closed it again with uh, Dozier at the four uh, and Jokic at the five and there's just not a lot of size there you're not going to get a ton of stops in that and I mean when you've got Dozier and Gary Harris out there like you don't even really have like the typical shooting that you would have with a small lineup either I, I mean I think I would have much rather gone with Jermichael Green or, or Millsap in that situation but you know, Millsap's actually been shooting it pretty well from three. And, and this it's year. not like
1: the Jazz are playing these like four perimeter threats, and you go, "Oh God, I can't put Michael Green out there on the floor." It's like, no, there there are places that you can put it.
0: Yeah. So Jokic was laying back in the pick and roll most of the game. That's uh, what they've been doing this year, and perhaps that's part of why he's been so awesome offensively to not have to expend that level of energy getting out on the floor in every pick and roll in the regular season but they did do that at the end of this game and i thought quinn snyder dialed up some really nice plays to take advantage of that it was kind of like a modified spain pick and roll set uh which again if you're not familiar with that it's basically where you set an initial pick and roll and then a shooter will set a screen on the big man who's trying to defend the pick and roll so he can't stay in front of the guys so you're uh, it's you're getting essentially two screens for the ball handler but you Normally you do that, you set it in the lane when the guy's in drop coverage, and then that lets the rolling big get behind him for an alley-oop. Here, though, instead they would just have Bogdanovich come up and set the screen on Jokic after he tried to like get out on the floor and slide with guys. That enabled Conley to turn the corner for a floater. Then they also got a foul uh, on Jokic for Conley, which that led to two missed free throws, which was uncharacteristic for Conley. He was 0-4 for 4 from the foul line somehow. Uh, but that was just like the perfect play call. They ran that probably three or four times in the last three minutes uh, to take advantage of Jokic getting out on the floor defensively and then the Nuggets not really having much uh, behind him in terms of help defense. Uh, just to make sure that we get to it, Denver's stats so
1: far for the season, they are 6-7 and seven overall, 5-3 and three since the last 15-60, 10th in net rating at plus 3, 4th in offense, 24th in defense, 538 projects they'll win 42 games, which is tied for 5th. In the East, probably still going to make the playoffs, though Elo is a little bit less optimistic mystic 61 percent for them and this comes up at points every year last year denver outperformed their point differential by the most in the nba this year they are underperforming it happen to be doing it by by more than average it's uh the negative 1.7 as 538 does it which is the under most underperforming team relative to the point differential in the west not in the nba the wizards hold that title but worth remembering that that's why you and i look a lot at, at point differential for how a team did rather than their one loss record i i mentioned bull bull got the got a couple of starts previously against the nets and against the warriors uh really struggled getting through screens which is a big part of why bull bull just doesn't play anything other than bigs in a normal circumstance but playing the three the nets really took advantage of that and then something i've been wanting to track all year at least
0: well, the well, yeah but bull bull also he had a, a fun matchup A couple times at the rim with James Wiseman in their Thursday game, where he blocked one of Wiseman's dunks. Which I mean, you know, as I feel for the shot blockers because Wiseman had a huge dunk on him in the third quarter, but Bull stopped him on a dunk in the first quarter, and it's only the dunk that ends up on the highlight reels. But uh, yeah, I I mean, I I just don't Bull. I mean, he can shoot it, but I just uh, this whole like playing him on the perimeter thing, I just don't see how that's and and I know they were
1: they were desperate for guys with Gary Harris out in addition to Michael Porter Jr. But they ran in trouble there. And then yeah. now he was he was completely out of the rotation in the game against the Jazz. I don't know if there was an unavailability thing. But the other thing I wanted to look at, so in the early part of the season, Denver was getting completely destroyed whenever Nicole Jokic was off the floor. That has toned down a little bit. Still not great. So they're negative six point three net rating overall before the Utah game. In that one, Jokic was plus six in a game, the team lost by four.
0: But yeah, and he played forty minutes too. So they were minutes. they were negative ten in the eight minutes yeah. that he didn't play, and they were negative eight in the th- Three minutes that Hardenstein played,
1: and overall though the Nuggets are about even when Jermichael Green is on and Jokic is off, that is hundred percent fine, especially because the Nuggets continue to yeah. outscore opponents when Jokic is on the floor. So if you can, Green
0: has really stabilized him after yes. coming back from that calf injury.
1: Yeah, and and I think that's that's made a big difference. And you and I have talked about how I think they could structure their front court rotation a little bit differently, and that has really helped. And so yeah, I, I'm not particularly like worried about the Nuggets. I think that yes, they are still under. 500 they 500 again after this loss but they're playing fine Jokic is, is still having a wonderful season so i'm i'm largely i'm largely still on board
0: Yeah, and Jokic, the only player at this point in the season, other than Oscar Robertson, to have 250 points, 125 rebounds, and 125 assists through this point, through 12 games, I I guess, uh, is how many he's played. And, you know, I thought this game, too, I mean, all right, Utah, like they got revenge, blah, blah. And yeah, they're missing Joe Engels, but, you know, Utah hasn't had any COVID absences yet this year, right? I mean, we're going to, it's going to be very easy to kind of forget about that as we look at these teams' overall resumes, but, you know, the Jazz surge into this you know 7.4 net rating and like eh, now they're 9 and 4 and they've just been kicking ass and and like yeah but they've got their whole team (laughs) you know like like a a lot of these teams that they're playing don't and denver obviously is uh, among those
1: let's go to the san antonio spurs the spurs are seven and six on the season five and three since the last 15 and 60 they're about even in net rating which is uh, plus 0.4 um which is 14th 19th in offense 9th in defense so impressive 37 wins would put them eighth in the west raptor gives them about an even chance of making the playoffs elos a little bit more optimistic and stop me if you've heard this before the san antonio spurs are not doing particularly well when their starters are on the floor and are killing it when their bench is on the floor
0: yeah now while we have heard that before it's actually not as bad as it looks right now because and particularly i mean with so many teams i went through and did this for where you know, some established players just have like terrible net ratings and the bench is really good or, or vice versa but basically with the starters on the floor opponents are shooting Forty-three percent from three. Like if you look at Aldridge, DeRozan, Keldon Johnson, like all three of those guys are all basically starters for this team. Opponents are shooting forty-three percent from three or better when those guys are on the floor, and opponents overall are shooting thirty-nine percent from three overall. So for them to be ninth uh, in defense, granted they, uh, I mean particularly these days, uh, we got to look very closely at strength of schedule. Yes, with uh, and particularly when you know a team like the Suns, for example, like hasn't even played for a week. Um, you know you have to look at that very closely in some of these like offensive and defensive ratings. You know, for example, like Cleveland and Memphis having played each other twice, <laughs> like that when neither of them had any guards, like that can really help. Well, and your... like
1: and yeah, I mean the Spurs ended up losing one of those games, but they played they played the Rockets twice. You know, as the the, the wheel the, as the trades happened and everything else, and Minnesota without Towns and a few of the other ones. So,
0: uh but anyway, back to the Spurs. Lamarcus Aldridge is struggling still and. And uh, by the way, a reminder that we will talk much more about the Spurs tomorrow because we'll talk about their game on Down and obviously we'll be doing their game for two and a half hours tomorrow as well. But uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, 48% true shooting, 12 per defensive rebound rate is really bad too he's defensive rebounding like a small forward right now his overall rebound rate uh is nine percent uh defense rebound rate is only 15 um but the big problem for aldridge is his pick and pop game has totally dried up and he's averaging as a pick and roll roll man which uh, the overall category combining pick and pops and pick and rolls he's in the 14th percentile of 0.78 points per possession which is is really really bad. And generally pick and roll roll man that's a pretty efficient play type, but it's a lot more efficient when you actually roll to the basket and you're shooting around the rim. LaMarcus Aldridge has attempted uh has gone to the pick and pop 54 times and finished a play whereas he has rolled to the basket or slipped to the basket only six times so basically 10 percent of the time he goes to the basket otherwise uh, it's a pick and pop and he just hasn't been efficient he's only 19 out of 52 on those he's taken a few more threes uh, but and it's particularly ugly when he puts the ball on the floor to take a dribble into a jump shot out of the pick and pop like that that he's only one out of seven and that continues really I mean he used to be in in Portland one of the best pick and pop guys he had this game back in the game one of the playoffs against okc in 2016 that they eventually lost where he just completely just destroyed i think he had like 40 points completely destroyed the thunder in, in pick and pop and it looks like the thunder were gonna get blown out in that series which obviously didn't end up happening so i mean maybe he's just not good at pick and pop anymore it seems pretty weird like his post-up game he's only finished 27 possessions out of the post but it's actually been totally good 0.93 points per possession there um his spot up game hasn't been amazing either you know again taking these three pointers uh overall on the season he's taking 5.1 three-point attempts per 36 minutes which is not bad but he's only making 28 percent of them uh and he's only shooting 49 percent from two so i think he's gonna shoot the ball better uh and he actually has had some decent rim protecting games like he had a pretty good rim protecting game against zion and when they played the pels a, a couple weeks ago um I know mean, when you've seen Aldridge does it look different to you I mean he is 35 obviously at this point
1: it hasn't dramatically but I've also been trying to figure out most of the time in those minutes trying to figure out the Spurs offensive flow without Derek White it's it's really impressive to me that they've been that they've been able to to put to cobble this kind of together overall in the offensive end Kelton Johnson's taking real step forward we talked about that two weeks ago in the 15 and 60 but no like to answer your question it hasn't seemed like broken or anything really wrong to me though he has looked a little bit a little bit creakier in a few different elements defensively i haven't seen like oh his shot just sucks now or anything
0: so trey lyles hasn't played much and and when he has it's been mostly due to absences but he only has a nine percent usage wow this year which is crazy to think about because he was so unhappy in utah early in his career because he just you know he thought he could do so much more with the ball and now he just basically never does anything at at all um but but i want to play a little game with you here danny how many of the players who are in the bottom 10 in usage, this is 50 minutes or more, can you name? I, I, or I'll, I'll, I'll give you five guesses. Let's see what your batting average is. We don't need to go through all 10. Oh,
1: I'm a little bit tired. I feel like I'm going to be bad at this. Um,
0: uh, wait, your, uh, your usage is feeling a little low in yeah. <laughs> yourself?
1: Uh, Hamru Diallo.
0: How do Diallo Ben and I just talked about this, but it's going to run later has a 23% usage somehow this year.
1: Okay. i that means I need to watch more of his minutes on the thunder. Um, yeah. Cause that's true. Yeah. The thunder, he's second on the thunder, the thunder and off the crazy. thunder offense is also flowing really different this year with under dag
0: Um, let's see,
1: uh, I don't want to do, I I'm, I'm strong. Th- that's such a okay. bad thing. I'm just going to turn myself off.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, so I, I'll give you a few of them. Um, uh, we talked about, uh, this player's team already. Royce O'Neal. Yes royce o'neill fourth lowest 8.6 usage uh another player the lowest in fact plays for our local team it's kind of been in and out of the rotation but he has actually started two games
1: started looney
0: juan toscano anderson
1: oh that's right yeah he, he did very start early very exciting when when draymond was when draymond was out yeah
0: and uh i'll, I'll give you another couple a uh, couple of them here uh isaac banga is number two pj tucker is number three he's always uh right up there on this yeah. uh quote-unquote leaderboard uh but a few you, you might not expect josh green is uh I'm sp-
1: yeah I, I mean he played a, he played a fair amount in the in the game
0: yeah he's been doing nothing for the as well uh other than defending and actually his fellow arizona alum stanley johnson is under 10 percent usage as well he's a, he's actually number 11 so there's a, some somewhat surprising names uh on here uh as well but it, it's kind of it's interesting to see the guys who just like are just out there like never getting any touches um uh kevan looney by the way uh was uh, is uh 20th in this okay. statistic 10.9 percent use just so you
1: so someone who has plenty of usage patty mills st- st- 61% true shooting 21% usage continues to be a wonderful player I actually talked about it a little bit in my my piece for the athletic because it was I, I I separated out by guys that could get more than the mid-level and I was like it's such a shame that he's probably not going to get a chance to be a starter because he's been so good over the years and he continues to be so good for the Spurs but he's I, I still appreciate Mills for what he is
0: yeah I mean that was a contract that kind of looked bad uh in 2017 but he's produced yeah, um and let's turn now to the Sacramento Kings 5 5- and nine after their loss to the Pels today we'll talk about the Pels here as well in the context of this game they are two and six in their last eight negative 8.6 net rating is 29th in the NBA Uh, that is the worst in the NBA non-Minnesota Timberwolves division somehow they actually are 10th in offense which is better than I expected that they would be but a putrid 30th in defense they are projected to tie for last place in the western conference with 26 wins Uh, three and four percent chance at the playoffs with the two projection systems so let's uh let's talk about why they suck on defense
1: i did some digging on this before watching the uh so i did it in the, on sunday morning before watching the game against minnesota against new orleans on sunday and you did end up seeing kind of getting a lot of that in in the like uh, in the context of the game and so sacramento to their credit they have done okay in terms of fouling you know you know round round middle of the league and they've, they've done okay for defensive rebounding which when you think about their second unit which plays really small is is a little bit of a surprise but they have some they play size on their offensive on on their on their first unit because they're playing Marvin Bagley at the four and they did give up worth noting that is before they gave up 14 offensive rebounds to the pels on Sunday but their effective field goal percentage is Opponent effective field goal percentage is terrible. And also importantly, they're not forcing that many turnovers. Now, they did force 13 on Sunday, but generally speaking, they're not doing that. And so then it becomes, is the other team hitting shots? And oh boy, is the opposing team hitting shots?
0: Yeah, they are firing away right now, really from every area on the floor.
1: Yeah, I mean opponents are shooting about sixty-nine percent around the basket. That's really that's a, r- a really good yep. number for Le- them. League really average. The
0: league average is usually in the sixty to sixty-two percent for for that. By the way.
1: Yeah, opponents are opponents are shooting are shooting well from three. You expect that to regress to the mean a little bit, making making. Yeah, what their is that?
0: 38 percent. Thirty-nine. That that yeah, thirty-nine percent. Yeah, sorry, it's uh, it's a little small on this monitor.
1: And then um, and then also they're making a lot of floaters, almost at, at four at forty-eight percent on floaters, which is really really. high and so yeah the question one of the questions is like will that regress the mean i think the three pointers you generally assume that it will and unless there's some sort of structural thing of you're giving up an unreasonable amount that are open or something like that but generally speaking it goes in that direction and so then i got interested and this is the type of thing that happens when you go down rabbit holes where it's like okay, like you think about a team with Hassan Whiteside. Generally speaking, like there there are many flaws, but generally speaking, those teams can slow down opponents at the rim, and Rashawn Holmes isn't bad in that respect. And so I was looking back at it, and it's like okay, you know, I looked at each of those, I looked at the splits when those guys were on the floor, and you know, they were bad, but not horrendous. And I was like, well, how can they be basically almost dead last in the entire league in opponent rim percentage if they're not doing badly when those two guys are on the floor? And I'm like, who else is playing center for them? And then I remembered, oh yeah. Marvin Bagley and in 301 possessions when Bagley has been has been the center the Kings posted a 130 defensive rating and opponents are shooting 76% at the rim in those minutes
0: yeah not a lot of rim production there and I think the Kings have kind of realized that and changed up because they now are not playing Bagley as much as the backup center. He's really playing just as a four, but that has squeezed Nemanja Bialica completely out of the rotation at this point. And to Bagley's credit, he's had a couple of 20-point games. He's had multiple three-pointers in back-to-back games, though he missed a critical corner three that could have tied it with under a minute left in this game against New Orleans. So at least, you know, is he looking like he's just unbelievable? No, but he's kind of, you know, he's slithering into space. He's getting on the offensive glass a little bit. He's hitting enough threes getting a a few of those lefty drives for the opponents who are too dumb like Zion Williamson to know that he always goes left and Zay, he he had a pretty good one in this Pels game which we're going to talk about here as we transition into that uh and then they've got with Whiteside out rather than go with Bagley as the backup center they went with Chimizy Metu instead and Metu uh, got absolutely baptized by Cyan Williamson with a massive lefty dunk at the end of the first quarter as the Pels got out to a, a nice lead uh, Whiteside by the way is out with a hip issue right now and uh, also uh, Jameis Ramsey has a left groin strain he's out for a few weeks he's their uh, second round pick who's kind of a, a gunner type uh, shooting guard
1: uh, before we forget I'll do the I'll do the Pels stat for the season yeah they're five and seven overall one and five since the last 15 and 60 20th in net rating native 2.8 18th in offense 19th in defense 30 uh 538 projects they will win 34 games which is ninth in the west and a little less than 50 percent chance of making the playoffs in both models
0: so this was a 128 123 pels victory they led it by close to double digits most of the way kings were got back and i think they tied the game at one point around 115 and then uh, the Pels won on a closing kick and there was some fouling uh, that took place late uh, but pretty fun game I mean a lot of big minutes from guys in this game like they're really going for it uh Rashawn Holmes played 42 minutes that's uh that's part of why how you avoid playing Marvin Bagley at center and Metsu played five so basically that was your entire center rotation for the Kings De'Aaron Fox career high 43 points uh and was plus 18 in 39 minutes and they lost by five that's insane they lost the nine minutes that he didn't play by 23 points that's completely yeah. yeah, batshit insane
1: yeah and Corey joseph ha- had some real struggles in this game three fouls one of four from the field in those in in those nine minutes gr3 had a bank three and and but didn't do a whole lot else while he was on the floor and yeah well, there was, and i believe that was a run there was a big run late in the first when uh it was zion that was out there and i think jackson hayes was out there which is how he ended up with a positive with a positive uh plus minus in this one was that big run
0: yeah in in the first. first time in his career uh no but but uh yeah it, it was definitely a little weird to see like this Pell's bench which also has been terrible actually like having some positive plus minuses big part of that was jj reddick actually getting on track not untracked because that's not actually a word of uh, sports writers mm-hmm. on track with 14 points three of five from three uh sam had talked about why he was shooting only 29 percent from three and he said that it's because they haven't been getting him good enough looks in contrast to nicola Melli who did not play tonight and is shooting 17 percent from three with like multiple wide open air balls lately uh,
1: but I, I, can i go back to to Darren vox's game
0: oh please so what, yeah was, yeah because so they basket... killed it in the paint which was yes. really interesting yeah
1: because the generally speaking the mo for the
0: Pels this year has been
1: sell out to protect the basket and the the buck model where you don't give up many shots around the rim ideally don't foul a ton and And
0: they're doing some of that same stuff schematically too like if there's a pick and roll on one side and the guy gets middle someone's coming off the opposite side wing all the way to the nail and they'll just give up a wide open wing three so generally
1: speaking that's been the way it's gone De'Aaron Fox scored almost all of his points in the paint he was eight of nine in the restricted area five of six from floater range so if you want to add that together that's 13 of 15 overall in in the paint Fox also got to the line eight times, made six of those eight. And so that was a big, big part of his 43 points. Also had 13 assists in this game. Bagley, as you mentioned, was productive. A lot of that was inside the paint as well. So overall, despite that, you know, what we talked about is the MO. The Kings, 20 of 23 in the restricted area, 13 of 23 from floater range.
0: Yeah. And it was interesting too, because they were just getting to the rim off the dribble. Bagley, Fox uh, did it a lot. You know, Holmes was, was, you know, would take a couple of dribbles out of the, the pick and roll. Um, but they only had 23 assists on 47 field goals, which for a team to put up like a 125 offensive rating with Assisting on below 50% of your field goals That's pretty rare Usually it's like passes that lead to the best shots But in this case they were just able to get downhill well, really they, well And I
1: think part of that was also the, the Pelicans rotation really missing Lonzo Ball So Ball is out due to knee tendonitis. He might be back within the next week or so But he, he's he's missed some time now And so while you and I both love watching him Nikhil Alexander-Walker hasn't been as as robust there And and Bledsoe has been, i to, to my eye He's been a little bit hit or miss on defense so far this
0: year. yeah you know he's coming back he, he had an eye issue where he, he missed a bunch of time Lonzo has been out for a while now you know I've really liked you know I think Lonzo is probably better than Alexander Walker defensively but uh Alexander Walker, much better offensively to me than Lonzo. I think he's a better shooter. Uh, he's definitely way better in the pick and roll. He's got a more mid range game as well. They, they really have needed a pick and roll threat other than Brandon Ingram. And yeah, they were kind of getting blown out in that Clippers game. uh But Alexander Walker had, I think, 37 points. Yeah. And 15 to 23 like the, from the field. Yeah. Yeah. The ball's just going in for him a little bit more, which is good to see. We'd do a, a bigger breakdown on him. But he's, he's playing much more in control and you know, he's not turning it over a crazy amount. Got 28% usage and he's not doing a ton else out there uh you know I'd like to see a little bit more from him in the passing game than we've seen but uh, he's uh, I mean Lonzo has played nine games he's his usual terrible shooting other than last year so far and we'll see how that evolves I mean it's not Lonzo's not even like doesn't even have that many passes right he's only like 20% assist percentage which is not fantastic uh he's even on on the defensive glass he's not doing as much as he was and maybe that was due to some uh some of the health issues that he's experiencing but they couldn't come to an agreement on an extension and Nikhil Alexander Walker could easily be insurance for Lonzo Ball uh I don't know I guess you're Not as high in what Alexander Walker has been doing
1: so. No, I uh, I I do really I do really enjoy him. I just need to see that in like in a starting five. I think he's more for me an intriguing bench guard for now that you could slide in in moments and yeah.
0: yeah. But I mean, those guys are basically the same age. True. And uh, now. And Alexander Walker kicking, kicking his ass. He has a 9.4% free throw rate compared to 9.2% from Lonzo. So clearly, clearly he's much better. Uh, yeah, both of them need to draw a few more fouls. Uh, Zion was fantastic in oh, this game, yeah. though.
1: I mean, he had some ridiculously athletic plays. The dunk over Metu also had one where Bagley hit him in the air. He stayed in the air and got the lefty finish on the opposite side of the basket, which was completely ludicrous. Zion ended with 31 points, 13 of 15. Team from the field five of five from the line also had six rebounds and th- was a game high plus four I'm sorry not a game high plus 14 a team high plus 14 because as you mentioned De'Aaron Fox said he had an even stronger plus minus in a losing
0: him well up. and I liked the way that they were using him he really got going towards the end of the first quarter uh just going one-on-one from the top of the key against the guys like Bagley and Rashawn Holmes and he had one play where he just is doing the move that everyone's doing now which is basically like the, the guy is on you you pick up your dribble lower your shoulder, maybe give him a little bit of a forearm. Uh, knock him backwards and then take your extra step and kind of a mini Euro step while the guys knock backward and lay it in. Like everyone is doing that move like crazy now. You know, Harden, I think was one of the first guys to do it Manu, but you know, it's not necessarily a Euro step. It's more like kind of a shove and then Euro step, uh, just taking advantage of the fact that, you know, you kind of have an extra step now, which you didn't have through all of NBA history. And so guys have uh, figured that out. So I mean, it's a good move. It's obviously being taught, but so he yeah, had that. And then the other thing that I th- really liked we saw it in glimpses of this last year, but... Pels have been doing this more and I I've liked this as a way to work him and Stephen Adams together and you might say okay well if you run a pick and roll with Steven Adams Zion Williamson can't shoot at all so w- won't they just help off of him oh please do say the pals because Zion he won't even really be in the dunker spot he'll be almost in the corner and if his man will try to come over and help on the roll man Adams or help uh, on the ball handler and pick and roll Zion just gets accelerates out of the corner gets the ball and just goes in and lays it in or dunks on you and it's been really effective like you can't if you leave him and you give him space in front of him unless it's you know one of maybe five guys in the league he's just going to go in and score and uh the kings don't have one of those five guys as it turns out so anything else that uh popped out to you about this game
1: um so i had previously done a little thing about like why is Nicola melly in the rotation and he wasn't for this game so we'll, we'll see we'll see how that continues and it was just you know like he, when he's not shooting but also melly is so limited defensively and yes the rotation is more limited in terms of guards because because Lonzo is out right now but the Pelicans I, th- I think David Griffin has done a good job you know building a guard rotation not a not a perfect one but but enough depth there that you know we just talked about some of the lineups Denver has trotted out there I think that it's not perfect but I think that New Orleans could go that route instead of Melly unless he can can find something and Redick being a lot better I think that that did really help them
0: in this one yeah they also shot the show while yes, they, they were 11 of 18 from three Bledsoe was three of Jackson three. Hayes
1: took a jump shot uh,
0: yeah he made it it's uh, a free throw line jump shot uh, for Jackson Hayes that's uh, a little bit of progress um for the kings i think it's interesting now though because tyrese halliburton didn't play all that well today but it's kind of like him or bagley in the closing group now and bagley's been playing a little bit better at least offensively because barnes has to be out there because they just they got to have somebody who can guard the wing on the other team and barnes did a pretty decent job on, on brandon ingram tonight uh so and buddy Hield is going to be out there and so is fox and you need a center because you saw how bad the bagley at center lineups were going so it's it's interesting that a point guard shooting guard and a power forward are the guys really competing to be in the closing lineup for the kings let's now move on to the minnesota timberwolves and i mean we we talked on thursday or i guess that was friday about the ridiculous fact that carl towns uh, has tested positive for coronavirus and uh friday's game was postponed not sure exactly when these guys are, are gonna play again but uh the numbers are not good for the minnesota timberwolves right now
1: no they are not. Uh, the Wolves are 3-8 and eight overall, 1-5 and since the last 15-60. They are dead last in net rating. They are 10th in offense and 29th in defense ahead of only the Kings. The Wolves are pro- projected by 538 to win 26 games, which is tied for 14th and last in the Western Conference. They probably are not making the playoffs. And it looked like it was going to be a set against the Memphis Grizzlies, but then the second game of that set was postponed due to due to COVID. So in, instead, it was it was only a one game a one game one, and that was. Really disappointing for Minnesota because it looked like the Wolves had a controlled at the end of the third, but then a 30 38 to 17 fourth quarter for the Grizzlies, who remember were playing without John Morant in this game, got Memphis the big win. It was a 14 0 run to start the fourth uh, with bench lineups, including a couple big threes from Grayson and Allen. And so for Minnesota, it's like, you know, you have Carl Towns available, playing well, to, and, you know, Beasley was hot early. D'Angelo Russell had a relatively efficient game. To not come away with the W was just
0: crushed. Yeah, I mean, considering that the This was, you know, John Moran has returned. We'll talk about that in a second with the Grizz. But uh, it was, I mean, Minnesota had really close to their full team in that game it is a little concerning to me too by the way that the Grizz uh had to have their game canceled and Jonas Valanciunas is in the health and safety protocols and he and Carl Towns were guarding each other on Wednesday and Towns I think tested positive on Thursday so uh might have been infectious on Wednesday well and then and now Valanciunas has it could be coincidence but also could be that he transmitted it during the game also concerning
1: is that Memphis played again between between that they had a game that was postponed but then and they played on saturday
0: yeah and obviously valanchunas didn't test positive for that game he played it in that game which they won uh and, and then apparently tested positive today but uh and, and there's a lot of contact tracing now uh, with valanchunas that they have to deal with uh so i mean hopefully they are the fact that they are going to have like a, a quicker turnaround pcr test available for players on game day would augur that there is a fear that there's some on-court transmission going on here and hopefully if you ha- can actually turn the pcr test around because it seemed like a lot of times guys would have a pcr test from the day before when they were playing but not a pcr test from that day uh anyway that's not necessarily what you guys want to talk about here but uh with those two teams in particular uh, i have some concerns so uh I mean the the big problem for the wolves obviously I mean I mean this is crazy right like towns has only played 132 minutes plus 6.1 net rating with him out there and uh josh Kogi who is also out with the hamstring and she's had a recurring hamstring issues actually uh he's the only other guy in the green uh, for this team who plays it all and so everyone else, Oh, man. It is rough. And, like, Jake Lehman is now out of the rotation as well. He's also missed some
1: time due to personal stuff, but I think he is out of the rotation anyway. Jared Vanderbilt has largely usurped him.
0: Yeah, and Vanderbilt, I mean, he has his own limitations because he can't shoot at all, and, you know, he's not a great defensive player, but he at least gives some energy, and they've played better with him out there as in their continuous struggles to try to find uh, someone who can play at the four or even the three. And, uh... Ed Davis has started some games. He is a negative 27 net rating, 111 minutes. And I mean, D'Angelo Russell, again, I mean, we are seeing what happens when you have a D'Angelo Russell led offense and not much else and a d'angelo russell-led defense uh, as well but i mean they are actually better offensively when he's off the floor uh only 103.2 which is basically like dead last offense and i mean this is supposed to be an offensive team like that was how they were going to succeed and then uh the defensive rating when he's on the floor is uh 121 Ugh. and when he's off the floor it is 99 so they are 22 points per 100 worse when he's on the floor and yes that is flukier so that's not going to continue all year but when you consider that his backup uh, is ricky rubio Who has had his own struggles uh, defensively? And it's worth noting, like
1: Russell's, largely playing against opposing starters. They're more capable offensively and all that, and it's not all his fault. But yeah, that is that is not exactly
0: thrilling. No, and it's just Jarrett Culver. You know, he played ten minutes in this game. He's uh, they've tried him out at the four. He hasn't really been the solution. I mean, Beasley has been one of their better guys. I think he's kind of been what they were hoping to get uh, Malik Beasley's stats right now 57% true shooting 24% usage not turning the ball over like he's been totally solid offensively he's shooting 39% from three and getting them up there pretty good 7.6 for 36 minutes so he's been what they've wanted as the starting two you've also got Anthony Edwards out there he's shooting 38% from the field uh 27% from three they're just there's they can't find reliable shooting at any positions in the front court uh and so I, I mean I uh, Towns could fix this a little bit when he comes back but you know he's going to miss another. He came back earlier really than expected, but he's probably out 2 weeks now. So, uh at a minimum, hopefully not more than that, and hopefully he doesn't suffer any complications. But uh yeah, I mean, the Trade for PJ Tucker thing. I don't think that's uh something that I would advise. It just it's really this team has been bad in all the ways you would have thought, and then some so far. And
1: so, just to to walk through kind of where things are going over the next over the next couple weeks with without Towns. So they play the Hawks twice, the Warriors twice, Orlando, New Orleans, Philly, and then a set against Cleveland and OKC depending on when Towns gets back. So there are winnable games there potentially. I mean, Orlando is the skeleton crew as well, but I mean they're gonna have, they're, a lot of those teams are capable. Bare minimum. And so that could produce some real problems for the Timberwolves. Uh, let's talk about the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are 6 and 6 on the season, 4 and 3 since the last 15 and 60. Uh, negative 0.7 net rating is good enough for 16th in the league, 27th in offense, 4th in defense. 538 projects they'll win 33 games, which is 11th in, sorry, 10th in the West. Uh, Raptor gives them a 28% chance of being in the playoffs. Elo is up to 49%. And the most impressive part of the season so far for the Grizzlies, I mean, the thing that has to be the big takeaway so far is that they. They weathered the storm of John ja Morant being out with this injury and they did that and they're fourth in defense with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Justice Winslow not playing a single second so far
0: yeah and John ja, ja only played his third game uh as well uh yesterday so and he looked pretty good he had nice uh, nice alley-oop in that one I caught a little bit but not that much but yeah I mean I, I don't think that we saw I saw this as kind of like an average defensive group I would say, and, you know, without Winslow, who was supposed to be a stalwart for them, you know, maybe you can actually say that not having Jaron Jackson Jr., given what he did defensively last year, probably actually helps them a little bit. And, you know, they just have a lot of kind of steady guys... Who aren't going to make mistakes who can force some turnover a little bit you know kyle anderson remains a perpetually underrated player defensively and he's also actually starting to shoot the ball he had two threes in a row over hernan gomez in that big comeback that they had against the wolves uh in the fourth quarter on wednesday but uh, anything else that sticks out to you about this defensive performance
1: yeah the grizzlies are forcing a lot of turnovers the third highest opponent uh, turnover rate in the nba 16.7 percent. not a huge surprise with or without jaron that They're below average in fouls and defensive rebounding. Defensive rebounding is a flaw we talked about a lot last year. But forcing turnovers and opponent effective field goal percentage, and the Grizzlies, to Taylor Jenkins and the coaching staff's credit, a big part of that is opponents are taking shots in the quote-unquote right places if you're a defensive team. They're lowish at the rim, lowish from three, and the fourth highest mid-range frequency. And so that part can continue. I think that Memphis is getting a little bit of good fortune on opponent threes, ninth worst, and around the rim. But remember, Memphis opponents didn't shoot particularly well in the restricted area last year. So maybe some of that will continue. And so I I think that it's somewhat sustainable. I mean, I don't think that they're going to be the fourth best defense throughout the year, but they also don't have to be to win games now that Jaw's back. And just as another note, kind of unrelated to the defense, it is, of course, unambiguously positive that they beat the Sixers. And so they won Ja Morant's return game 106-104, but that was the Sixers without Joel Embiid. So it's not quite the same team. Yeah,
0: the Sixers, uh, I don't think, I think they've only lost one game with Joel and beat actually and that was that uh one where they basically had nobody else available against the hawks last week uh but so yeah fourth in defense i would expect that that's going to come down part of that is because jaron and ja probably aren't as good defensively as the people who have replaced them uh but also i think that 27th in offense will get a lot better now that morant is back and they're shooting 33 percent from three as a team which is pretty bad Uh, and like tyus jones has just completely forgotten how to shoot he he at least is avoiding turning the ball over which uh, helps a lot but he's also not incredibly aggressive but you know a, a nice fit with De'Anthony melton who can take on some of the ball handling duties well, as, as well but they're just getting a lot of contributions from unheralded guys like xavier tillman has come in and while he hasn't shot it well from three he's played a lot at the four a little bit as a small ball five uh he's given them solid minutes he was out there during that run against the the wolves as well uh desmond bain is shooting 49 percent from downtown grayson allen is up to 36 percent after a, a really rough start from so they they're at least getting some good shooting from that two position which they desperately need because Dylan Brooks is going to have the ball more than he should but he's going to a little bit and Brandon Clark is back to playing really good ball with it. his floater finishing the pick and roll he also figured well in that big run against the Wolves Uh, so hopefully Jaron Jackson will come back pretty soon you know you're thinking they're talking about January so hopefully it's in a a week or two they're pretty tight-lipped about injuries and supposedly Justice Winslow is on that January type of timeline as well and and like these I, I thought these guys were going to fall short of the plan but uh, it seems like now that they haven't gotten completely out of it without moran i mean i thought they are going to be like two and ten right now instead of six and six uh now they're uh they haven't had the hardest schedule in the world but they will be getting some troops back to weather and i think this this group can play 500 ish ball when they're fully healthy and i think i think they've been well we coached
1: thought. i think that the taylor jenkins has done a nice job for them overall and in some of it might be you know a little bit of shooting luck but i think he's done well uh, let's go to the portland trail blazers the blazers are eight and five on the season five and three since the last 1560 plus one net rating is 13th in the league sick
0: yeah how did we skip all these
1: uh we were already up there talking about talking about the pels and i think you just kind of started moving up anyway um
0: oh yeah okay yeah the the p's the p's are uh we're 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 getting
1: there now um so the the blazers are sixth in offense 26th in defense 538 projects them to win 40 games which would be seventh in the west that would be that kind of the front the top seed that is still in the play-ins. Um, Raptor, 73% chance of being in the playoffs. Elo, 61. And we do not yet have a timeline, but CJ McCollum has a left foot sprain, so that's going, to be a, that's going to be a big challenge for the Blazers to to manage the, you know, we, we were talking about him as one of the most, uh, as like a likely all-star this year, and he's going to miss some time. Now, they have players who can step in. Gary Trent Jr. has been, I would argue, drastically underutilized this year, so depending on how Terry Stotts wants to run this, they're probably going to give more time to Anthony Simons. We'll see how that works out. But remember that the Blazers are also, for a much longer period of time, out with or without Yusuf Nurkic because he's going to miss about two months
0: yeah with that uh, wrist injury and uh and his cancer did respond with five blocks that's got to be a career high for him uh in 29 minutes uh, against the hawks somehow uh but and he had his usual six offensive rebounds in a, a starting role yeah mccollum actually played 19 minutes in the first half and had 16 points he played after uh, the play in question where he sprained his foot and was a further four of seven from three he's just been absolutely lighting it up from downtown uh i can't remember who it was that came down on his foot for the Hawks but as he, he landed after a shot someone just landed on his foot and basically it looked like you know kind of like collapsed his arch maybe or something so but he was was able to continue so my hope is that it's not going to be like a incredibly long absence for him I mean it, it definitely looked pretty ugly uh Dave Lillard in their game against the Hawks goes 43 minutes played the entire second half as a result and, and had 36 points he was plus 18. They started Simons in the second half and I hope they don't do that. I hope they just start Gary Trent, uh, you know, rather than this, oh, we got to keep the bench going. And Trent was awesome with the 18 points as well, seven of 14, four of eight from three. He's just such a reliable shooter. And he also really caused. a lot of problems for Trey Young. The combination of him and Derek Jones Jr. really bottled up Trey Young. He had 26 points, but it took him 7-23 to from the field. And I thought it was interesting that they actually were just playing a normal drop coverage on Trey Young. And Trey is struggling from three. He was one out of nine in this game. So maybe you don't need to uh blitz trey young and open up all this other stuff anymore until he starts shooting it better but their their conservative defense worked pretty well against the hawks uh um, who also yeah and we wondered he,
1: what he, terry stotts was going to do in terms of their center rotation now that Nurkic is out and the game one response was definitely fascinating so canner started and played 29 minutes to your dis- to your disappointment this is not ennis canner's career high in terms of blocks he actually did that last year with the celtics he had six blocks in a game against the hornets uh,
0: that is disappointing
1: (laughs) but Cantor started played 29 (laughs) minutes Harry Giles who we expected to to, to get the lion's share of the minutes that that basically that Cantor vacated he only played 11 and instead in the late part of the first and third Terry Stotts went to a lineup with no traditional center it was Lillard and then either CJ or Simons because that was McCollum had been hurt by that point Derek Jones Jr. Robert Covington and Carmelo Anthony so I guess you would I mean you could go define the center a lot of different ways
0: Covington would probably be the the center yeah in that alignment and, i think as, as probably the best rim protector of that group
1: yeah and so they, they can go you can go to that in limited unlimited stretches but i i wonder where stats is going to go long term and you know it's the downside of, of having some roster spots on guys that you're that aren't aren't figuring heavily but i think giles can step up and play a large role
0: so rodney hood is having a massive struggle this year coming back from the torn achilles he was one out of six in this game, and overall, he's at 25% true shooting. And from downtown, Hood is uh, 4 of 16. Twenty-five percent, but he's three of 20 on twos. Yeah, 15%. And so it really seems like, you know, clearly there was a agreement when they re-signed him that they would bring him back for another year and pay him a little bit more. Uh, And they followed through on that, but I mean, it it really seems very unlikely to me that he's going to be able to contribute at a rotation type of level. And Anthony Simons is struggling just as badly as he is uh, at this point as well. I mean, Simons at least was hitting threes off the dribble last year. He's not even really doing that Now Simons is shooting 30% from the field and 27% what? from two at this point. So, I mean, you got to start Kerry Trent and just get him out there for... 35 36 minutes a game during this period when cj is going to be out uh you know harry giles i thought looked really good and and now cancer he did have the five blocks i mean you can't complain he was plus 16 in this one but he's actually like giles is finally starting to show the explosiveness that made him so intriguing to people as a prospect you know when he was a junior in high school he missed his entire senior year in high school and you know missed that whole first year with the kings and ended up having his rookie option decline with the kings he wasn't working that hard and he's gotten himself in a phenomenal shape he's actually really mobile he's getting up there blocking shots in the air like he looks like a totally different player defensively and so that's really nice to see from him. i think he can really contribute totally well as at least a backup center and there might get to a point where defensively i might call for him to supplant Cantor. although that's obviously not going to happen on a neil o'shea gm basketball team um
1: what another note it isn't really his role right now but Anthony simons is 10th on the blazers in assist percentage behind such illustrious players as gary trent and robert covington he's just that's just not his role he's basically just just a shooter and he's shooting for it for it has 44 percent true shooting right
0: now yeah i mean it also might be nice if robert covington made a shot at some point he's 43 percent true shooting as well he was one out of 13 in this game against the hawks so I mean you assume that he he runs he's kind of like Danny Green like and that he runs hot and cold although he doesn't quite have the track record as a shooter that Green does uh, and but nonetheless, they still have managed to be sixth in offense, but they've done that with incredible, probably unsustainable heroics from CJ, particularly unsustainable because he may not be playing for a little bit here. But the Blazers looking totally fine. And it's just a shame that Nurkic now, you know, that was really the hope for them was that he could get back to being, you know, kind of this sub all-star level of guy that he was in 18-19. And now that's, that progress has been retarded as well. Why don't we move to the seven and four Suns, two and three since the last 15 and 16 but they also haven't really played in a week now. But uh, their plus 4.4 net rating is 7th in the NBA, 7th on offense, and 14th on defense. They project to tie for the fifth seed in the West with 42 wins. Over eighty percent chance of making the playoffs in both of the projection systems, but that fourteenth in defense uh, has been compiled in, shall we say, some disparate ways.
1: Yeah, even though I've watched a fair amount of the Suns, I didn't, I hadn't identified this, and I do think there's a lot of noise. But so I'll, I'll give a little bit of the story. So I was recording Real Jam Radio with Sirat Sohi, and we were talking about the Suns, and I was just putzing around on cleaning the glass, and I was, you know, I was looking at DeAndre and stuff, and I happened to notice that his on-off defensive splits he's in the uh he's in the 0th percentile in in that i was just like what the hell like that is really really stunning and so the full numbers on it the Suns have a 118.8 defensive rating when Ayton plays and a 94.7 defensive rating when he sits that makes him in the 0th percentile and remember cleaning the glass filters out garbage time so it takes out some of the some of the potential noise that could be in the in the data and so I, I did a, I did a little bit of digging and um I I you know because because it didn't match completely the eye test to me um and so it's true like part of that is opponents are shooting really well you know in those circumstances like especially if you want to go to like well they're the starting five of cp booker bridges crowder and aiden opponents are shooting 71 percent from the corners 50 percent from mid-range like those things are going to tone down um they've also been really bad in transition defense i think that that aiden is partially to blame there he sometimes can get caught um but the part of it that i do think is concerning and could potentially continue is shot locations that is something you and i like to look at and opponents are getting to the rim a lot and about average from floater range so like if if teams are getting a lot of shots around the rim generally speaking those are going to go in at a reasonable rate and the suns aren't forcing turnovers which is a huge problem
0: yeah you would think with chris paul and mikhail bridges they could force a few more turnovers but they do of course play a, a pretty conservative defensive style so yeah i mean it's not like you know dario charge you're like oh the eye test uh shows that there shouldn't be this split yeah, yeah. The eye test is that like Dario Saric is six foot eight and he can't jump and he's playing center. Like you wouldn't expect them to defend that way. So, uh, I mean, is there like how on earth opponents are only shooting 58% of the restricted area, uh, with Ayton off the floor, given who the other options are, is really a surprise to me.
1: It, it is to me too. And it's also really stunning that the non Aiton lineups have been fantastic on the defensive glass. Opponents are only getting seventeen and a half percent of their misses. That is really, really low. And those groups are forcing turnovers. That's not a huge surprise. Javon Carter, a few other guys, and and Bridges is in both of these lineups. You know, they are a lot like the Suns don't have like a, a necessarily a, a first team and a second team. Depends on on how they're going to do it. But I I just thought that was absolutely fascinating. We're a small enough sample now. The Suns have only played eleven games. That I'm not like oh you know the Suns starting five sucks or anything silly like that. The Suns are doing well. They're going to be a good team. Game, but I just found it interesting.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think they're, I, I just want to see are they, you know, a six or seven seed or are they really going to be in the mix challenging for home court advantage? But the fact is, there's nobody really, you know, with the demise of Houston now and Denver looking pretty mediocre and Utah, I guess, has the inside track on the three seed at this point. But really, nobody outside of the Lakers and Clippers looks great right now in this Western Conference, even if there is some depth. Uh, Devin Booker, interesting. Interestingly enough you know he's kind of eased into the season a little bit you know it hasn't been a dominating start for him it's really been the other guys who have been hitting the three at a really high rate that's uh, the biggest reason i would say uh, that their offense uh, has been a big success um but one of the things i wanted to talk about with booker is some of the off ball stuff hasn't really been happening as much this year uh you know transition frequency is down his frequency as a cutter is down they haven't been posting him up hardly at all. Uh, which I thought is actually something he's really really good at Um, now not to say that he's having a bad season and like the lineups with him on the floor and Paul off have absolutely dominated uh, but it's really been more pick and roll more ISO more handoff a little bit more spot up so that's not uh, self-created but it does seem like what made him take the next step last year was being able to get plays in the flow of the offense and you know I thought Ricky Rubio was a big part of that particularly the way he would hit the ball ahead and encourage cutting and movement off the ball and chris paul isn't he'll find you but he's also not that kind of guy like there isn't a flow like chris paul will dribble the air out of the ball a little bit and he wants to find guys but find them on his own time and his own rhythm and know where guys are going to be whereas rubio he'll push the ball up and and encourages guys to run with him and to make more random cuts that's not not that paul is a bad passer but i do think that rubio added that more free-willing aspect to their offense last year that they haven't necessarily rediscovered. They also have campaign out uh, with a uh, sprained ankle right now. Hopefully he'll be able to recover uh, while they're on this hiatus here. And then what about Chris Paul? How has his game changed now in Phoenix, if at all?
1: He's doing a little bit more in isolation, a little bit less in pick and roll. And so far the the his pick and roll scoring has actually been dramatically less effective this year. He was at at about a little bit under 1.1 per possession last year. and now this year 0.8 a 0.824 if you want to get really specific and isolation has been pretty similar a little bit worse and remember we're in the small sample size so like his percentile is way worse but that's just because of how things work over the course of the season so you know i I think that we wondered how the shift was going to be from oklahoma city for cp and it seems like he's playing a little he's playing chris paul ball just hasn't worked as well so far and it's early i'm not particularly
0: yeah i mean some of these play type percentages are very very similar he's just been a little bit less effective and yeah again this is not a huge shocker that Chris Paul is not going to be going a thousand miles an hour early on this season
1: sorry I forgot to bring this up with Devin Booker his turnovers are up 17.2 percent of possessions was 15 percent last year and his assist percentage not surprised with the change in role in the offense is way down 30 percent assists last year 20 percent this
0: year all right we uh, uh those p teams we are very sorry for having skipped over you but uh Oklahoma City is Ben's team we'll talk about them at the end grizz we just talked about let's turn to the la lakers and i mean they're just straight up dominating 11 and 3 7 and 1 they started 7 and 0 on the road which obviously is not particularly meaningful um you know on on the home road thing i was surprised that the home teams only won 55% of their games last year uh and kevin pelton was talking about this uh on twitter a little bit that you know we're kind of reaching now close to the number of games that we had in the bubble and you know, home teams are winning about 50 percent of their games they won a little bit less than that in the bubble that included the playoffs interestingly enough uh so but KP is saying hey maybe this isn't a large enough sample size to draw any big conclusions about uh, home court advantage so i i will cede to him uh, on that one but nevertheless lakers start seven and oh on the road first in net rating plus 12.1 third on offense which is a big step forward from where they were last year and first on defense 104.6 they project for 52 wins which would be first in the west by quite a bit and uh, they will in fact be making the playoffs and uh, what do you make of the now 36 year old lebron james
1: he's still incredible i mean so overall for the season, LeBron, PER 25, 59% true shooting on 32% usage. And both that true shooting and usage are in line, not only with his two Lakers seasons, but really most of his Cleveland return. And so you think about like, oh yeah, that's a very good player. He's been an MVP candidate basically, you know, like in that mix other than the year he was hurt every year. And he's 36. Like it's it's not only defying regression, it just seems like he's been offensively pretty much, he's been a similar player, but he, he has, uh, there are a few interesting little wrinkles. Goals. um lebron is shooting 30 from three on the highest volume per 36 minutes in his
0: 38
1: sorry 38 right in the highest volume yeah. on threes in his career 7.2 per 36 minutes and that that's uh, making up for a little bit of a drop in efficiency on twos um he's only taking 31 of his shots in the restricted areas kind of shifted some of that to mid-rangers and threes so far we'll see if that's sample size or if there's something more like it doesn't seem like he's getting to the basket quite as much um and so i'd be mean, you look at LeBron, and I mean he's he's been I would say he's been a positive on offense. Raptor disagrees, interestingly. Um, and he's been Uh, on defense, yeah, on defense. And then he's been a wonderful, wonderful offensive player so far, and. I, I am sad that we haven't seen that Jacob Goldstein. I mean, I'm thrilled that he got that he got a position, but that I, I miss PIPM, even though we're still in the small season where there's a lot of there's a lot of noise to it because um, RPM sees LeBron as actually a slight negative on defense or sorry, Raptor does and a slight negative on defense and Anthony Davis is a huge positive. Anthony Davis is a huge positive, obviously, Um, but LeBron's been absolutely fantastic. And we'll talk plenty about that Um, in a couple weeks when we get to MVP conversation. But with him, maybe it's because he's a cyborg center from the future to rule basketball but to be able to maintain his level and in certain ways improve it at this stage in his career is almost unfathomable and we can't lose sight of how special that is
0: yeah, a couple other interesting notes uh, about these guys. There's new starting lineup. There is some skepticism, including in these quarters, that starting Dennis Schroeder was the right move, but their starting lineup has absolutely dominated. I think they have like a plus 30 net rating right now with Schroeder, KCP, who missed a little bit of time. That actually, when they had one of their lulls was when KCP was out. LeBron, AD, and Marcus. Gasol. You know, that's just, it's humming really well. The Lakers actually are protecting the rim even better than they were a year ago. You know, Gasol isn't going to sky for shot blocking, but I think he's actually a better rim protector, certainly than JaVale McGee and probably also than Dwight Howard, just in terms of his smarts and positioning and his kind of fat guy bodying of guys who go in uh, without fouling. Dennis Schroeder has already drawn eight charges and Montrezl Harrell has drawn nine already or offensive fouls and not necessarily charges, but, uh, that's pretty good. Th- those guys are giving their bodies up. Uh, neither of them are great defensive players, but Schroeder has played to good reviews as far as his ability to pressure the ball full court. That's something that was talked about when he was a prospect and he was compared to Rayjean Rondo, but not something that he's really been doing, but now, uh, has picked that up in the defensive culture. That is the LA Lakers. And, uh, you know, Steve Kerr gave an interview today talking about them. They play the Warriors and Lakers play tomorrow on Martin Luther King Day. And he compared them to the way the Warriors were in the 73 win season where they'd won one already, but they weren't exhausted from being in it every year. And these guys are just so smart and so together that, I mean, most of these teams just don't have a chance against them on a nightly basis.
1: It's something I think we expected to see, but it's still, I think, a real positive for the Lakers. While Marcus Gasol is starting, Montrezl Harrell is playing more more regular season minutes. Harrell's up to 340 for the season. Gasol 276. And Harrell's been incredibly productive offensively. 65% true shooting, 21% usage. Really occupying that role very well. Shooter hasn't been particularly efficient so far. He's at 45% on his twos, 51% true shooting overall. And I want to, you know, I think I want a larger sample and just kind of to get some of the on, on pull up threes versus catch and shoot and all that kind of stuff. I want those. I want there to be a larger, a larger base to get into some of that. But overall the Lakers have just been absolute world beaters so far and I mean
0: I yeah I, I mean I don't see other than the Clippers I don't even see a team that can take them beyond five games right now in the West. I agree uh and, that and, could and remember injuries, like they're and not playing is, their best yeah.
1: lineups right now very often like they, they don't have to
0: yeah yeah and now sometimes that can backfire because I think particularly for this team when you have all these combinations and you have guys that like Harold who I suspect may not be as effective in the playoffs that you kind of want that playoff cruise to test you enough but not really threaten you to where when you go up against a really great team like the Clippers that you then kind of know that all right you know we can't really rely on this guy to be like closing games out for us uh, or anything so but yeah I mean they're and particularly with the the smarts that they have and like some of the they also haven't really had any uh COVID absences yet another reason why they're looking so good so far uh let's turn to the LA Clippers now what are their fundamentals
1: the Clippers are nine and four five and two since the last 15 60. They are 5th in the NBA in net rating, plus 5 per 100 possessions. 1st in offense, 27th in defense. 530 projects them to win 48 games, which is 2nd in the West, and they're making the playoffs. They also, like, like their LA brethren, haven't really had a lot of injuries or COVID absences so far. And I wanted to take a little look at how their new additions are faring. Luke Kennard, who not only was acquired by Lawrence Frank, but also got that huge extension. Less huge when we saw all the details, but
0: still huge. Kennard, a Yeah, 12 12 million a year. That's pretty big.
1: Um, Canard, 11 PER, 61%, sorry, 64% true shooting on 15% usage. And for Canard, his efficiency is crazy high, but the usage and assist rate are the lowest of his career. And you could think about the role that Canard most often had in Detroit. But we also wondered exactly where Canard was going to fit in for these Clippers because they do have a need for a player who is a kind of a lower usage shooter in their starting five. And then they could also use some creation, especially. Especially if there is a post Lou Williams world, which is probably not this season for the Clippers, you know, at some point in the future, ideally Kennard could fill that role too. And so far it's been more the, the lower usage one. He's shooting 50% on threes, but only taking 4.8 per 36 minutes, which is the lowest three point frequency of his career too. I would say mostly because Kennard just doesn't have the ball in his hands.
0: Yeah. And he's not really, he's always kind of not really wanted to be uh, that three point specialist, but I'll tell you who has been a fucking awesome three point specialist is Paul George, 52% from three on 8.6 three-point attempts for 36 minutes. I mean, that's that's a very high number, by the way. I mean, the the highest guys in the league will be like 10 or 11 or so. So that is a ton of threes. He's shooting better from three than from two, where he's still fine at 49%. And then Kawhi Leonard also has really found the touch from three lately. He's 43%. And these guys are just shooting the shit out of the ball. Overall, Nick Batum is 43%. Pat Beverly is 44%. You mentioned Kennard at 50%. Lou Williams, 39%. Reggie Jackson is 41%. Marcus Morris has been back for five games. He's 48%. Like this has just been an absolutely ridiculous shooting team uh, from the outside. Uh, and overall, they are number one in the NBA shooting 44% from downtown.
1: Absolutely incredible. And and back to Kennard briefly. That?
0: Sorry, I I, I, I got no, distracted. The, there, the, I, I mean, I...
1: There's, a lot, there's a lot there. Um, But so you think about Kennard and really his role is going to be... Can he can he juice the offense? And in some cases not even juice it, just be, you know, be a cog in the machine. The Clippers have a 119 offensive rating in his minutes, which is great. Defense has largely been a disaster. I don't really put that at Cannard's feet. He's a guard. It's not really that big a deal. And interestingly, the most the most used lineup for him so far has been Beverly, Kennard, Batum, Paul George, and Ibaka. But a lot of the other ones are bench heavier. None of them have been particularly high use, and some of that's just as Doc Rivers is trying to figure out the rotations. The other hyper profile edition, Serge Ibaka. I would say this has largely been kind of in line with what we expected. 17 PER, 59% true shooting on 20% usage, highest block rate since his final year in OKC, but, you know, broadly in line, and a lower steal rate. uh, I think there's still time for that to normalize. He's playing about 25 minutes, starting every game. And notably, this is part of the reason why I was so high on the Clippers. They have a plus 11 net rating when Ibaka's on the floor, and a lot of that is their best lineups when everybody's available.
0: you concerned about their defense being uh they, they moved up they had a nice win over the pacers today so they've moved up now to 24th uh the clippers they're the one team whose stats are uh out, out of date here because it just updated here with that that pacers game. they completely throttled the pacers without miles turner today uh but and the, all those stats i give you on the individuals were before the, today's action but you know the 24th in defense i mean is there something to be concerned about here with them
1: a little bit i mean there there isn't any three-point shooting noise in this they're right around the median in the league so you so you haven't seen that they're not a great offense a defensive rebounding team i don't think that's a huge surprise i mean when you think about some of the lineups they and and they've depending on who's available at a given time they could end up being a little bit better there but not necessarily fouling a little bit um but yeah i mean so the big shift is in effective field goal percentage so far and that that can be a couple things that can be you know giving up shots in the wrong place that can also be teams making shots that you you wouldn't expect and i would say there i mean the one the one that like, you could point to as being fluky is 40 48 from floater range that is just unusually high you wouldn't expect that to necessarily continue but i mean i i don't think that top to bottom they were necessarily always going to have a great defense when you think about some of the guys in the rotation yeah I, but I, they've been good in the importance know, you, you, that's that's the part that i have yeah. been focusing
0: on no that's true i mean they like that portland game for example i thought their pressure really changed that game made things difficult for Lillard and CJ uh their location e-field goal percentage you know what you would expect teams to be shooting based on the shots that they're giving up is a little bit better that's 12th in the NBA and Ty Lue doesn't really have a record of being a good defensive coach Uh, like his Cleveland teams yeah part of that is just the personality he's playing like Ty Lue and I think this is the right approach like he goes all offense and some of these groups that he's playing he's playing you know Reggie Jackson and Kennard and Lou Williams Uh, how is their defense with like the main guys on the floor I think that that's like my bigger concern because you're not going to be playing all three of those guys together in the playoffs
1: if we want to look just at the minutes when Kawhi and Paul George have been on the floor 105.4 defensive rating that's 83rd percentile the the starting five that that they've been using a lot of this year so that's with Batum in there 97.5 defensive rating
0: yeah. So I, I think you can, obviously any of these sample size with lineups are going to be small, but uh, particularly in this season, I, I've talked about how I'm going to concentrate on how these teams look at their best. And yeah, you know, there might be some danger of that with the Clippers given their history in the playoffs last year, but, you know, and having Marcus Morris back, giving them another body on the wing who can switch and stay in front of guys, I think uh, will help them a little bit too. They're a little bit short there. That's part of why they had to play all these guards together on the second and- unit, but I, I think they're totally on schedule and and you know if they're three point shooting as a team goes down, then maybe there'll be some cause for concern. They're not getting to the rim at all between Ibaka and George and Leonard and Patrick Beverly. They just and but I mean none of those guys really get to the rim much. And you know Kawhi, he's I don't think he's gonna be going like a thousand percent, just trying to go through people and dominate, especially when he's shooting the ball this well. Why bother? And when you already have a 120 offensive rating as a team, uh but they may need to find some new tricks at some point offensively.
1: The Clippers have a pretty favorable schedule over the next two weeks they have oklahoma city twice and they have an east coast trip but it's a lot of it is against less competitive teams we'll see how the how the Knicks look at that point in,
0: in on the east coast l- less competitive teams really hopefully Sorry.
1: my hopefully miami will be close we'll be we'll be right in that one that would be clippers heat on uh i think that's a thursday night tnt game that should be pretty exciting in a couple weeks and uh yeah so we'll, we'll keep an eye on them we can move on to the houston rockets the team that played a thursday tnt game this week um four and seven overall Two and five since the last 1560. Negative 4.4 rating. Net rating is 23rd in the West. They're 24th in offense, 18th in defense. 538 projects them to win 32 games, which would be 11th in the West. Raptor gives them a 25% chance of in the playoffs. Elo gives them a 42% chance. And continuing something that you and I found troubling for a little while now, John Wall on Sunday morning when I checked it had already been ruled out for Monday's game
0: due to left knee sore. Yeah, Victor Oladipo did practice with the team for. For the first time Kelly Eco said he saw a wall moving around and he didn't. He was hopeful that it wouldn't be something that was a, a big issue. We talked about that a little bit on Friday night's show because he's now missed two straight, and I guess this will be a third now. Uh, he missed both of that set against the Spurs. They won one of them, uh, in the uh James Harden is gone revenge game uh, against the Spurs on Thursday, but they fell to them putting up uh, only just in the low 90s on Saturday. Uh, the trade ended up being a four-teamer in the end because Karis levert didn't end up passing his physical and we'll talk more about this at a later point but he apparently has a mass on his kidney that was uh, discovered so they ended up reworking it because it was going to be a three-team trade and then another trade to give the rockets a bigger trade exception now though they're down to a 10 million million dollar trade exception rafael stone though he's He's telling us they could use this thing, Danny.
1: I mean, maybe they'll use it next year.
0: (laughs) That's possible. Or that I mean, they I think more likely what they'll do is they'll make a trade, take someone into that trade exception, and then create a new one, uh, by sending someone out. So they're I mean, they're not gonna take on enough salary to go into the tack this year, obviously. Um let's talk about John Waldo and very interesting season so far for him as we noted he's looked very good athletically when he's been out there although the knee soreness is a concern and uh one of the things i was looking at you know he always had a really high usage these last few years in washington when he was healthy and so i was like oh 26 percent usage that's actually less than you would expect but that's going to go up a ton i would imagine because he was 22 percent usage only with james harden on the floor and 34 percent with harden off so let's see how that changes now with oladipo eric gordon had missed a bunch of time as well so And Gordon's actually having a pretty solid season so far. But, I mean, the good thing about Wall is that the explosion is back. And he's got 49 points on 44 plays finished as a pick-and-roll ball handler. And the biggest thing that he's been great at is taking it to the basket out of pick-and-roll. Uh, he'll reject the screen about 25% of the time, and usually you can get right on top of the rim Did on those. Did that an against the Kings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the Kings uh, do give up some points inside. Uh, and, again, this is all open as well to just who they've played against uh, because he hasn't played that many games. But 29 points on 19 possessions when he takes it to the basket out of pick and roll. That is very, very solid. Uh, And compare that to uh, four out of 13 on jumpers off the dribble out of pick and roll. So 19 times taken to the rim versus 13 jumpers. That's like a a very solid uh, ratio overall. And in the half court uh, per synergy around the rim, 27 out of 42, that's very for around the rim where you're shooting at the basket or or for in the half court where you're shooting at the basket is usually a lot lower. Uh, 27 out of 42 is very, very good uh, for him i mean the big problem obviously has been the jumper off the dribble as it has been for him since time immemorial he's only six out of 25 on those uh but he is eight out of 18 on catch and shoots in the half court Uh, we'll see how many of those he's going to end up generating here um and just in general on twos away from the rim he is eight out of 28 so that's that's uh not a surprise he's never really been much good at that and you know teams try to go under on him but he's so fast that he can beat that uh, a lot of the time
1: what have you thought about demarcus cousin season so far
0: you know when i've watched them his three-pointer actually like looks pretty good he's been very aggressive looking for that sometimes though that can be an indication that guys know that they can't really do anything else very well like blake griffin would be an example of that where you feel like shit i gotta go out here and do something and he's taking a ton of threes but the bigger problem for him and why he's been totally inefficient he's shooting like 30 percent from three uh is he's eight out of 23 around the rim uh which is really really miserable uh, now, he does have a plus 8.1 net rating, though, th- and that's almost entirely because their defense is way better, but that is likely an anomaly. Uh, with Cousins on the floor, opponents are shooting 30% from three. Uh, Jay Sean Tate matches his minutes with Cousins a fair amount. They're shooting 31% with him on the floor, and uh, with some of the starters on the floor, they're shooting in the 40s. Uh, now, one thing that w- should be noted, again, part of this is the shooting lock, is the Rockets had a 117 defensive rating when James Harden was on the floor and 98.1 with him on off so I think we can expect the defense to improve a little bit now Christian Wood isn't great but I think John Wall has been trying he'll have these lapses where he starts walking or spaces out a little bit but he's been trying to at least pressure the ball and get over screens when he's on the ball and then tate is solid pj tucker is solid we'll see where oladipo is at as a defender uh, as well but uh i mean that that's what's gonna have to save them i mean you, to finish up on them 25 percent chance of the playoffs with raptor which i think is updated for the personnel change uh and 42 percent from elo uh what is uh larue O oh, give them present chance of making the playoffs
1: probably close to the raptor line about 25 percent. i mean they have they have talent here but when you consider and this is the the playoff odds that's to make it out of the play it correct like that's not to yeah yeah to actually to be, be among one of the, the top eight. eight
0: seeds in the end yeah. yeah
1: i think one in four seems about right and especially when you consider but why it might be a little lower than that maybe i'll go 20 percent. i'll go a little bit lower is because you and i have context that the models don't which is that i think they're going to trade additional player and if they were to keep PJ Tucker and some of these other capable guys during the year, I think I think maybe it would be in that twenty five percent range. But I think they're gonna. There's a pretty ch- significant chance that Rafael Stone is going to tear it down a little further. But it's possible, you know, like Victor Oladipo, maybe he wants to show other teams that he's still could still try on defense and everything else. So um, we'll we'll kind of have to see whether like what kind of force they play with, what what it looks like, and if it starts out well for the Rockets, maybe they maybe they keep it a little bit more together but it's still a long time until the trade deadline and it wouldn't even send me if oladipo was on a different team at at, at that point that whether that makes them better or worse will depend on on what they trade for should that should that deal happen
0: yeah and it's not like i mean you've kind of got a good top seven here now in the west and uh, with the Blazers being 7th, at least according to the projections, system, I'm inclined to agree. But then, you know, Spurs, Pels, Grizz, Warriors, I mean, are any of those teams going to run and hide? Like, if the Rockets can even, you know, get to, like, and they're projected for 32 and 40 right now. But if they can even get to, you know, 34 wins, I think that would probably get into the playing game, you would think. Uh, speaking of the playing game, let's turn to the Golden State Warriors...
1: Yeah, the Warriors are 6-6 on the season. They're negative
0: 4-3 since the last
1: last 15-60. Their negative 3.9 net rating is 22nd in the NBA. Remember those ass kickings they had at the beginning of the season, most notably. 25th in offense at 106.6, 17th in defense overall, and 538 projects that they will win 30 games, which is 12th in the Western Conference. They have a 12% chance of making the playoffs on Raptor and a 13% chance on ELO.
0: Yeah. And I, I would bump that up a, a little bit as well. You know, I, I thought that their last couple of games were relatively dispiriting. However, they struggled against the box and one against Indiana, uh, Indiana tried the triangle and two against the Clippers. The Clippers, uh, were not, not bothered by that. Although they didn't have miles Turner to go up uh, against the way the Warriors did. Um, you know, and Seth Curry has not been able to drag this starting unit that doesn't really have any other good offensive players on it, uh, to, Offensive competence so far. I mean, what are the stats with Curry and Draymond on the floor, which has obviously historically been one of the most dominating conversations in the NBA?
1: They've been about even.
0: Combinations, I should They've say. They've
1: been about even. Um, only 105 offensive rating. That's a pretty solid defensive rating overall. A big part of the problem is that the Warriors are only shooting 34% from three in those minutes and below average from everywhere else but the rim, where the Warriors are shooting 73%. And the Curry plus Draymond lineups are also turning the ball over a ton as well over 17% of their possessions and they're not grabbing any offensive rebounds so the possession game is really running against them as well.
0: Yeah, their their rebounding has been bad uh, on both ends uh, as you mentioned. Um you know, I just if Draymond Green and Steph Curry are 2019 Draymond and 2019 Steph, which we've seen glimpses of those guys. Like Draymond has been there a couple of times. Uh, Steph has had a, a couple of games like that. I mean, he was dominating against Denver other than the turnovers, but you know, I mean it's it's even when he's been under- unbelievable i mean we're seeing really for the first time in his career that like he can have unbelievable games and they're still not having a great offensive game because they're just these guys either don't know how or they just aren't in there just isn't enough shooting that like his gravity can open things up for others even when he's doing well and the teams that really want to lock in on taking him away you know denver is not really capable of doing that they don't have the personnel so he can play really well against them portland doesn't really have the personnel he had the 62 point game against them uh but you know other teams like the raptors or Indiana that have good vets and guys who can take him away you know he can kind of be shut down now you can just bring that much defensive attention towards him uh and then draymond i mean his performance in denver on thursday i mean maybe it was the altitude and he is coming back from COVID, but i've never seen anything like that from him danny he was awful he, defensively.
1: yeah and this is not last season where the give a shit index for draymond green was set it low and did not waver. in there were there was that the, I, I think i retweeted it over the course it was this like maybe the most apathetic closeout i've ever seen from from draymond at one point during that game just was
0: i, I mean it was a closeout that he jogged from the paint towards the guy and the guy still just blew by him anyway. Uh, but like, if he had just continued jogging at that pace, he would have reached the under the end of the floor in like 30 seconds. It was, and there were just a ton of them. He just wasn't moving with that short area of quickness. His closeouts were just jogging. I mean, I guess it must've just been the altitude. I don't know. I, I, But it was definitely like very sobering because I, you know, I was thinking like, oh man, maybe this all defense Draymond is back and then just did not have it.
1: And so that is a a big concern for the Warriors, especially when you consider how expensive this team is. And you wonder if that'll change if that'll change the thought process at all for Joe Lacob and the ownership group. Kelly Oubre, speaking of expensive things, Oubre shoot forty three percent true shooting, twenty percent on threes, forty eight percent on twos, um, not getting to the line a ton, and then Draymond turning the ball over an absolute ton. That's been something that's happened at other points in his career. Thirty two point five percent of um, Uh, possession or 32.5 percent of possess uh, i guess that's yeah possessions yeah it's high
0: yeah well i mean when you don't do anything else other than pass uh, that can, I mean he also had a play where you just had a wide open layup and he passed it off instead I mean he, he he had a missed dunk in that pacers game that was a critical play they were up in the fourth quarter he missed that the pacers went down and scored and ended up uh really being a, a momentum turner to the extent you believe in in that kind of stuff uh, you know James Weisman we talked about him a little bit I mean he still is just making these crazy mistakes his hands are really really bad to the point where draymond's mom on Twitter was like uh yeah just like throw a ball at his face for a while and until he learns how to catch which I don't think that actually works. Uh, the coaches, the assistant coaches are working with him on his hands. And I mean, he makes these wild plays pretty regularly and but they just have so much work to do to turn him into a player and I'm just not sure whether you know it's just like his feel for the game is ever going to be there but I mean the good news is when you're have that type of size and athleticism and speed it doesn't take much for you to get there to be able to make an impact he's had some moments like the second half of the Denver game he looked a little bit better for example they've he's been better in pick and roll they've been bringing him further out on the floor in a more aggressive pick and roll coverage so he doesn't really have as many reads to make he can kind of just stay with the guy. not let him turn the corner because if the if the guy gets downhill then he has trouble with the big getting behind him and getting into foul trouble so he's been able to execute that a little bit better uh he still kind of just deactivates defensively like he's now in the hey trust your size but trusting your size doesn't mean just like literally stand there and just let the guy traffic on you you know it just means like don't jump at pump fakes so th- there's still moments there but uh obviously the uh i mean i think i probably still like him better than anthony edwards that's a, r- a real uh miserable choice to have to make uh let's finish up here with the maps Six and six, four and three in their last seven. They have obviously been dealing with a ton of COVID absences as well, after they had a really nice victory in Denver, they basically have been playing completely without wings these last two games. They lost to the Bucks. We talked about that on on Friday, and then they had another pretty desultory loss to the Bulls today, where Luke actually had thirty points in the first half and a bunch of assists, and yet they trailed sixty-seven to fifty-two at halftime because they just don't have. You know, Richardson is out, Finney Smith is out, uh Jalen Brunson is out right now. They just don't have anybody else on the perimeter.
1: Yeah, and so the good news, actually, let's fin- I'll finish the stats. Uh, Mavs are. Plus 3.1 in net rating, that's ninth in the league, 16th in offense, 5th in defense. 538 projects them to win 43 games, which would be 4th in the West. Raptor gives them an 89% chance of making the playoffs. ELO, 63%, I guess it watched the Bulls game. Um,
0: yeah. And I still, I still like the Mavs once they actually get everyone healthy to maybe be that third team uh that that like might actually put a scare into people and and
1: the good news for dallas is that they should be getting some reinforcements back pretty soon jalen brunson it sounded like carlisle was frustrated that brunson was not available for sunday's loss but he should be available on monday tim hardaway jr has a groin strain that the mavs don't think is serious he's day-to-day i my instinct is that he won't be back monday but he'll be back relatively soon um so something that i thought i thought was interesting looking looking through some different i was looking at some different elements for Luca is that he's actually doing better on twos than last season not by much I mean this is before today's game 50 58% this year versus 57% last year getting to the line a little bit less but then of course shooting 26% from three even though he's a more like more in line with his with his history of 33% but during January again you don't want to arbitrarily limit the sample size and that that January number doesn't include the six for 11 that he had today um but overall you know despite not really having much Porzingis the Mavs have a 115 offensive rating during Lucas minutes, which is lower than the ridiculous 118 one last year, but not insanely. So when you consider the absences, I think that's totally fine.
0: Yeah, and they actually would stagger he and Porzingis last year. Porzingis was a big part of how their bench units were really successful. You remember that they were almost as good offensively with Luca off the floor uh, last year. And you know Porzingis coming back, he was zero for seven from three at one point today. Luca was six out of ten from three, and the rest of the team was one out of seventeen. um So yeah, I mean you mentioned Hardaway is out too, and they, they really they're, they're missing just about everyone right now. And and they're starting Josh Green and Wes Wundu and Josh Green, another one of those guys we mentioned in that super. Low usage. Same thing with the one Neither of those guys are shooting threes. You know, like Josh Green is like playing 30 minutes and he's 0 for 2. You know, that's like kind of his typical line. But the good news for them, Danny, is that their defense is fifth. And if they can get back to even close to where they were offensively, I think we realized they'd take a little bit of a step back replacing Seth Curry with Josh Richardson. Uh, but, uh, and, and also, you know, Dwight Powell has, has been in and out of the lineup. He hasn't been able to be the offensive force that he's been in, in years past. But what do you make of this? throwing defense right now
1: there are parts of it that i like though it does seem like there's some real good fortune in it i i like that Forcing turnovers at a reasonable rate, um, about, about league average, and you wouldn't necessarily. Ex- I mean, when they're healthy, you could expect more, but they just don't really have those those guys on the floor as much. Remember, also last year they had Wright, who they no longer have. He is, of course, playing in Dallas. He can be a ball hawk at times as well. Or in, in Detroit, Detroit, you yes. mean? Yeah. And so that that part, you know, I, th- I think they're doing an okay job forcing turnovers um, and not allowing shots at the rim. But as you often expect when a team has outperformed their talent level, and I mean available talent more so than. their... talent level when fully healthy is there's probably some luck
0: yeah they are benefiting from 31.5% opponent three-point shooting and 29% shooting for opponents above the break so league average there is about 36% and the overall league average this season for all threes is 37% uh 39% in the corner now the good thing is that their shot location is not bad they are allowing the fifth fewest shots to the rim however they are allowing 70% shooting at the rim and you know again Again, they've had Dwight Powell out there. Willie Cauley-Stein is not that amazing as a rim protector. And hopefully... Chris Porzingis who's one of the best rim protectors in the NBA when he's in position he's had to play more four than they would have liked early on here uh, but hopefully that improves with Porzingis out there and if they can combine or even just allowing league average shooting at the rim with allowing the fifth fewest shots at the rim then I think they kind of have something and they're forcing a lot of mid-rangers uh, as well and they're allowing the second most above the break threes in the league but that again is not the end of the world they're doing a much better job of preventing shots from the corner so I think they're definitely improved and I mean they 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 just got to get and they're probably missing their three of their four best defensive players right now Kleba is out as well and i'm very interested to see what a group with luca josh richardson finney smith Kleba, who's actually been shooting it really well from three this year and porzingis could do i think that could be a very very interesting unit uh again maybe not as dominating on offense but luca can hopefully take you home there in the spacing of porzingis and then you can really d up on the other end so that's that's the group that i can't wait to see once they actually. Hopefully, uh, get everyone back. And it—it's a challenge.
1: Team. Also, Dallas has a pretty tough schedule coming up. They have a lot of games against teams that we expect to be, to see in the playoffs. Toronto, Indiana, Denver, a set against Utah, and then a set against the Suns. And that Utah-Phoenix one includes a back-to-back. So if they can make it, if they can get some guys back and they can start to look good in some teams between now and when we do the 1560 I'll be even more positive. But I, I still think that I, that Dallas is in a good position for
0: it. All right, well, that'll do it for Danny here. Okay, let's finish up again here with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Ben's team, we're trying out this new thing this year where we're going to give Ben basically a month to look at a team. So this is his second time now talking about the OKC Thunder. And by the way, OKC fans, I know you guys are obsessed with this team this year. Ben and I actually are recording this first before Danny and I record. So the fact that you're at the end does not mean that we are all tired and we're not going to talk about your team as much. So let's get at it, Ben. What are the fundamentals on these guys? The Thunder are now 6-6. and recording this
2: Sunday when the Philadelphia game was postponed four and three since last time we did this net rating at negative 5.4 28th in the league offensively they're their 29th with a 104.9 offensive rating defensively 16th middle of the pack at 110 projected for 28 wins which would be 13th in the west
0: 7% odds with Raptor and 33% odds with Elo yeah that uh, win projection of 28 is based uh, on Raptor uh, so that's why By their thirteenth, I imagine if you did Elo it would be a little bit higher. But uh so, I mean, I guess the place just I want to start with in general with this team is obviously the offense is bad. We knew that was going to be the case. Uh, they were really, I think, pretty much everyone projected them to be among the worst offenses in the league. That has been true so far. But the defense is mid-pack. Do you think that can continue? Uh, and will aside from the fact that Horford and Hill might get traded, but if they just keep this group together, do you think they can keep up a average defensive performance? That's a t-
2: that's, that's tough to say right now still. I think it's possible and one thing i was going to mention here was they they seem to have that well they did adjust in some of these recent games where we had said last time where they were basically in this deep drop all the time and guys were getting some big runways on them but then it looked a little better where when they were also able to get Al Horford and Isaiah Roby not just being stuck under the basket trying to help them out but you know when the, when they're able to kind of stick to that you know they're not forcing themselves into and to having execute a bunch of these tough rotations and you know putting themselves in positions where they're where they're hemorrhaging threes I think it's possible sure if, if I had to go one side or the other I, I don't know if I would quite I would if I would necessarily bet on that
0: yeah i mean and they are six and six right now even with that defense which uh, has been good so far they have already won 2.0 games more than expected based on their point differential they've had a, a couple of real bad losses obviously which you know maybe you don't want to read into too much in this season of blowouts to date uh so what else do you want to talk about with these guys
2: i think shit i mean just that they've won some games recently Shea Gilgis alexander has to be first he, he's been awesome it just he's just a really fun player to watch he's at like like sixty-eight true shooting right now on the season, getting to the line about six six free throws a game in his last seven games heading into today. That's yeah, some that's
0: picks. really important to me, to to him, because I I'm, I'm not sure that he's gonna be a dominating three-point shooter and he's not unbelievably explosive. You know, he can get to his mid-ranger. So to have this a decent source of easy points, start to develop that craft, I think is really important.
2: Yeah, and to your to your point on the shooting, right now he's shooting forty-seven percent on all two. Two's not right at the rim and 39% from three, and if that comes down a little bit, maybe you wouldn't be surprised. So I think getting to the free throw line, but just also the the different the the variety, I guess I would say to his his driving game, I think is really fun and and has to be really encouraging for what he can do. I, I think unpredictable is kind of a, a good way to kind of describe him, which I would think would help because in, in some of these bigger scoring games, like the way he's the way he's able to go in there, you know, he'll have. A hard drive, and then he'll stop and he can get to an up and under and kind of play that way. Like he had one of those on Durant, or he had like this pass fake, slow meandering reverse layup on Jared Allen that he was able to toss in somehow, or going in on Wendell Carter and sneaking on the right side, like sneaking it under his armpit with his left hand, like extending all the way to finish. Like he just has all this different stuff to turn to. It makes it fun to watch, but then just like I said, I just think, you know, when he's going in on guys, I don't think they can really, really have a feel for what he's going to do and that has to help him a ton.
0: Yeah, and the other thing I like about his game too is that if he does get a smaller guy, and we saw this uh, one of the key buckets that tied it late, against chicago in that big comeback that they had he got kobe white on him and white just wasn't quite big enough to deal with him so yeah he's not gonna blow by guys but if he can get a matchup with a smaller guy and just kind of work his way into the lane then he can shoot right over the top of those guys or get him biting as you noted on because he has the size advantage and he hits those mid-rangers you get guys biting on that and then he can step through or draw foul so it is looking really good for him i mean as you think about his future do you see him as a guy who's gonna be a perennial all-star is he gonna be just you know a one or two time all-star or somewhat short of that obviously this is uh, fraught with peril to project guys he even at this point in his career his third year but, but what's your opinion on that I know I've talked about it many times on this show I'd, I'd have to I'll, I'll add the caveat I haven't really thought about
2: too much about like listing off the name of guys but just like on talent and like thinking what he's doing is real I, I think so as a perennial guy especially if he can he can you know sooner rather than later hopefully be on be on a team with a little a little little bit more reliable te- offensive talent around him too.
0: Yeah. Uh the only problem only problem with him is that his defense is terrible. Like it's really bad. Like he's he'll, if they're going to once they get a real team again like that's something that he's going to have to improve on and having the ball all the time it hasn't helped that either. Uh what about some of these other guys though? They've had some other surprises as well.
2: Yeah, Hamadou Diallo I think would be the the name to come up next in some of these recent games, a couple 20 point plus outings for him and I think where he's like it, what we've seen in this season is He's he's inched towards what you might Describe as what I would think is kind of an optimal role for him, where Teo Malad- Maladon, you know, it, he can set the table for you. We kind of touched on that earlier, but it seems like they've decided like we want to get him the ball in his hands as much as possible with that second unit. So the way that's manifesting in terms of that's those scoring bursts, a lot of it's just been in transition. But that's a great way for him to, him, to, him to attack. Get him the ball, let him go, set an early drag screen if you can, and try to give him a chance to get to the rim. And I've mentioned a few times that he they'll even use him as a screener, too, because they have some shooting at the five. But in this role, to get him the ball a little bit more, he, is, he isn't shooting a ton of jumpers, right? He's averaging, you know, one three a game. I know you, brought, you, you touched on that part with Hollinger. But the fact that he's just getting the ball a little bit more, he can be one of their main transition guys. I think this is... He's going to get a full season now staying healthy. And hopefully, you know, those guys at the five continue to shoot it well to give him some space. But this this seems like a really healthy environment. You want to see him,
0: see him in for a full season. Well, and I think this crazy season plays to his advantage too, because he's going to have a lot of energy. You mentioned him in transition, his hard drives on closeouts. He's able to just generate a lot of shots. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't watched as much of them as you lately, but you know, this isn't like him ISOing. It's just kind of finding some cracks in the defense so off when the ball gets rotated to him or getting out in transition or uh, maybe getting something on the offensive glass or you know play cutting off of others and he's got the second highest usage on the team 23% usage and shooting 74% at the rim because he's a, a great leaper, uh, but he's able to generate half of his shots there at the rim. And so it seems like in this season when their just energy is lacking, as, as something that Danny and I talked about quite a bit uh, with a lot of these teams, someone like him is it's more set up for success than you might be in a typical season.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with what you said. And just that maybe the environment, like you said, maybe that does maybe boost this a little bit for him. But again, I would think just from from OKC's you know very unique developmental perspective with where they're at this is just I would think you're really happy with how this is working out because he he doesn't have to play with a guy who needs the ball all the time so then maybe some of the bigger questions about his shooting those don't have to glare as much and he actually gets a chance to to have the majority of what he's doing playing to those strengths going to the rim.
0: Yeah, the other thing, too, is he's playing a lot with Mike Muscala, who's shooting it really well as a pick-and-pop guy from three. And that that's one thing that a lot of teams like the Knicks, for example, have never really done this but just having a shooting center can help the development of some of these guys like diallo where they may not be great shooters but at least the floor is space for them they can cut uh so it, it's looking pretty good for him you buy in this uh lou dort 44 percent three-point shooting yeah he's, he's still going i mean there's go, there's gonna have to be a
2: stretch at some point and I, I have written this kind of as as one of my points i was i was going to end on is Offensively, they're they're so reliant on just on just surviving and maybe being a little bit of a net positive when when their starters are out there and, and even then with their starters in terms of three point shooting, they're they're pretty reliant on what they're getting from Dort. So you have I think you'd have to worry a little bit if he hits a cold spell how how big of an effect that might actually have on them trying to stay in some close games. <laughs> but it, it's it's going to have to come down a little bit at some point. But the you have to respect and, and admire the way he's sticking to it. He's putting up quickly. I think it was it was the game against the Knicks that was a good example. He ended up going one for six, but he hits one late in that game. And it, you know, if you're still that late in the game and you can go zero for five and you can hit a shot, th- those are the kind of moments you can celebrate. And and we'll just have to see uh, a couple months from now if it's if it's is he at thirty eight. 33, somewhere in between.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's 43% right now, just so we have it uh, on Basketball Reference, uh, and 28 out of 65. So he's getting a, a lot of them up there. He's taking more than half of his shots from downtown his two-point shooting actually is not amazing only 50% there um you know some of his drives he's uh turning it over a little bit too much Zach Lowe wrote a little bit about that um anything else you wanted to talk about here briefly with these guys
2: yeah see I wanted to touch on just Isaiah Roby again able to get more minutes when when Al Horford sits on a back-to-back and right now Horford's out for for personal reasons but that that's it, it's still a plus for OKC. We mentioned last time. It'd be nice to see him play a little bit more. If you still have that situation with Horford, you can still get him him good minutes with your main guys. And I, I would like to see him get more chances to drive, where I think he can help them out. Even even going coast to coast, we've seen it a few times. Find out how good his three point shooting is. And I just wanted to bring up the the general point too with where their team is at. Watch watch them from the start of the season here. The the two points I wanted to bring up was one. You know, it's, it seems like they are making really good progress. And they, they should be happy with where they're at because they're clearly playing how they want to offensively when Shea is on the court, which I would think is is one of your biggest priorities where you've got Horford and Muscala shooting it. Shea has chances to get to the rim. Dort's taking the kind of shots you would want him to take, even, even Darius Baisley, even if you maybe like to see it go in a little bit more for him. But then just the team building point I wanted to bring up and ask you about too, is you, you touched on it already before I got to it, but just the, the getting Horford is, is a unique uh, set of circumstances, right? how that came to be but if you're just a rebuilding team and to just get that at the five for 48 minutes that that just that kind of seems important right i mean you brought up the knicks kind of as a contrast i, w- I would think that that might something maybe that's something we'll see you know teams even emphasize a little bit more
0: yeah and i've talked about that a, a lot and you know we'll see i mean again there the, everything's going great right now they're a young team. They got guys who are trying to establish their careers. They're playing hard for Mark Dagnall at the moment. And we'll see where that goes. I mean, this has been a four and eight team rather than a six and six team, just in terms of their point differential so far. Uh so thanks, Ben, for joining us here. And don't forget, if you're listening to this early on Monday at three Eastern noon Pacific, Danny and I will be calling the Spurs at the blazers fun one for the nba cast on nba league pass available for subscribers of course or you can just buy the game individually if you care to and we will be back for dunktown prime subscribers tomorrow night we'll talk to you all then